Mutability. Welcome to Nature's Lead. This is a podcast available at naturesleadcom that both examines and inspires a certain approach towards life that is based both on personal philosophies and on the writings of people such as Emerson and Thoreau. Please send any feedback to info at naturesleadcom or drop a comment onto the site's blog. This is Series 2, Episode 35, Title, The Truth About Truth. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year to you. I hope you have a wonderful 2009. In this episode, I discuss the meaning of truth and read a wonderful passage from Emerson's The Transcendentalist. So we'll get to that in a second, but first, today's random window. I can see a pond from my bedroom window, and as I glanced out at it the other day, I noticed something very remarkable. It had disappeared. Now, I knew it was still there. It was too big to dry up overnight. But then, the normally constant breeze started back up again, and the pond, in shimmering waves, reappeared before my eyes. Nature was playing smoke and mirrors with me. The water, when perfectly still, which it rarely ever was, reflected the dark green hill behind it, and this matched the same colors of the pond's surrounding foliage. A seasoned magician could not have laid it out with any more precision. It was just then that I realized wherein the beauty of the pond was lying. The darting and jagged rippled reflections of the sky gave life and energy to the pond. The breeze brought beauty to my eyes with the gentle brush, and that lesson I'll never forget. Only the interconnected wholeness of nature could dance such diverse players into one idea, one moment of beauty, wind, water, and sky brought into one. On to the main topic, the truth about truth. None of us completely follows our inner truth. We can't. We must fit it, adjust it, squeeze it into the structure of our society. Whether you're the most devout Christian or some other organized religion, or simply believe that nature is a connected whole driving all things underneath, we all compromise to make our lives livable. Even the guy who goes far away into the mountains to live off the land. I'll bet you he's got a knife or clothes he bought at a store. Now this is an extreme example of of someone who is almost completely living by the truth he or she believes in, but yet is still utilizing a couple things from society or civilization. Here's a quote from Emerson. The truth, the hope of any time, must always be sought in minorities. This quote is great, but of course he's speaking more about political levels or about people as minority voices, but I think this is perfectly applicable to our own inner truth that we follow. Our own personal truth is always at odds with the human world in which we live. It's at least a challenge or an undertaking that we mesh the two together anyway, in order to create a livable harmony. But our personal voice is the minority, correct? We are but one. We are but one against the masses. But we are a minority voice in whom lies the hope, the truth. Let me say something important about truth. My truth is no better than your truth. You may have gotten closer to understanding what's true to me personally by listening to this podcast over time, but it's only one man's truth, one among billions. 
Everyone has their own truth, their own belief system. Even if someone is not religious and simply follows some simple moral beliefs that society has instilled in him or her, then that person has spirituality, a belief system. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we all have some layer of truths that we believe in, and it probably serves as the core stitching of our minds. One of the most important truths I have solidly weaved into the inner structure of who I am is simply this. I know that I don't know. In other words, actual truth has not been revealed to me, and knowing this, then what I naturally believe in becomes truth. So truth, for all of us, becomes malleable. There is no truth in the universal sense. Many of us think we know the truth, whether through measurement, through spiritual revelations, or through rational determination. But I know that one of these, all of these, or none of these, are true. Therefore, with that uncertainty, truth lies in my hands. Truth becomes mine to form. And the same goes for all of us. Truth is taken away from the universal, away from the concrete, and is personalized. Truth is, thank goodness, as personally defined as our spirit and emotions. It's as subjective as your favorite flavor of ice cream. And if you don't like ice cream, then there's no hope for you. <laughs> sure, truth might be shared with millions of other people when it's part of one of the larger religions, but that truth... Even if it didn't come to someone naturally and was dictated and passed down by friends and family, has to be personally accepted in the end. The nihilists may be right. There may be no point in anything. But that's a belief system and has just as good a shot as Scientology. In fact, there may be a guy living off the land in the northern deep of Siberia that civilization has forgot and lost track of. And he may have some vision some deeply personal belief of what the truth behind all this is. And it could be the only actual accurate truth ever formulated in history. I know that truth will not reveal itself in my lifetime, so I take comfort in the fact that I can believe in whatever I think is true, whatever I feel is true. What a gift, what a luxury to believe whatever we want. The eventual real truth will make life a lot less exciting and vibrant. Let me read something to you from Emerson, something from a lecture he gave in 1842 called The Transcendentalist. The first thing we have to say respecting what are called new views here in New England at the present time is that they are not new, but the very oldest of thoughts cast into the mold of these new times. The light is always identical in its composition, but it falls on a great variety of objects and by so falling is first revealed to us, not in its own form, for it is formless, but in theirs. In like manner, thought only appears in the objects it classifies. What is popularly called transcendentalism among us is idealism. Idealism as it appears in 1842. As thinkers, mankind have ever divided into two sects, materialists and idealists. The first class founding on experience, the second on consciousness. The first class beginning to think from the data of the senses, the second class perceive that the senses are not final 
and say, The senses give us representations of things. But what are the things themselves? They cannot tell. The materialist insists on facts, on history, on the force of circumstances, and the animal wants of man. The idealist on the power of thought and of will, on inspiration, on miracle, on individual culture. These two modes of thinking are both natural, but the idealist contends that his way of thinking is in higher nature. He concedes all that the other affirms, admits the impressions of sense, admits their coherency, their use and beauty, and then asks the materialist for his grounds of assurance that things are as his senses represent them. But I, he says, affirm facts not affected by the illusions of sense, facts which are of the same nature as the faculty which reports them, and not liable to doubt. Facts which in their first appearance to us assume a native superiority to material facts, degrading these into a language by which the first are to be spoken. Facts which it only needs a retirement from the senses to discern. Every materialist will be an idealist, but an idealist can never go backward to be a materialist. The idealist, in speaking of events, sees them as spirits. He does not deny the sensuous fact, by no means, but he will not see that alone. He does not deny the presence of this table, this chair, and the walls of this room, but he looks at these things as the reverse side of the tapestry, as the other end, each being a sequel or completion of a spiritual fact which nearly concerns him. This manner of looking at things transfers every object in nature from an independent and anomalous position without there into the consciousness. Emerson isn't simply about broad brush, philosophical ponderings, or abstract mental strolls through nature. Emerson often dives into gritty details, almost scientific in his analysis. You don't think of it that way unless you reflect on what he says and break it down because his words and lofty speech suggest otherwise. One of the most fascinating parts of this passage is where he is basically stating what has more weight, the stuff you sense, or that part of you that interprets the stuff you sense. This is very scientific. It's not until the 20th century that this biological process of interactivity between the brain and our senses becomes more precisely understood. Psychology then also steps in, and the whole event of being aware becomes a biological and psychological dancing masterwork. But back to the point I'm making. Emerson is distinguishing between the matter-of-fact input coming from our senses and the subjective interpretation of that input happening inside our brain. I think we are all aware of the difference between what we see and the layers of meaning and purpose we put on top of what we see. He's saying that the materialist would favor the factual, sterile input before it's colored by our mind, because that input is clean and easily understood. However, he then states that this information is made up of facts, affected by the illusions of sense. And the idealist chooses to entrust, quote, facts which are of the same nature as the faculty which reports them." Unquote. So we have a choice in life. 
to see the world plainly as our senses do, or to see the world as our minds and souls do. This basic description defines so much of what I'm always talking about in this podcast, looking at life through our own personal eyes and allowing our own inner nature to connect and appreciate all of nature. Truth begins and ends with the individual. Whatever you believe to be true is true. It's ours to create, to form and mold, to cherish and hold tight, and to live by. Of course, this only holds true until an alien lands on our planet and tells us what the truth really is. Maybe that's how the guy in Siberia found out. And that's the truth about truth. That brings us to a close. So until next time, I wish you well, and don't forget to follow nature's lead.